The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. Well, good morning. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Life, and I get the privilege of teaching God's word to you this morning. Pastor Andrew and his wife and his family are celebrating Angela's birthday this weekend. So he gives you his greetings and says hello and misses you already, and he will be back with us next week. Well, if you are new here at Life, I want to say welcome. It is a privilege having you worship with us. We would love to serve you. We want to get to know you. And one of the best ways that we think we can serve you is actually to teach from God's word. We don't want to give our best opinion. We want to give God's word. And, and, and we also believe that, that those who have God's word have something incredible. And so if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to grab a free Bible from our Connection Center on your way out. Grab a, grab a Bible, find out a little bit more about our church at the Connection Center. We would love to serve you in that way. And we would love to open up God's word with you each and every Sunday here at Life. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 John 1, or 1 John 5. 1 John 5. We are actually starting a new chapter, the last chapter in 1 John. Well, over the last couple years, I've had the privilege of being a baseball coach. I love baseball, and uh, maybe I love baseball a little bit too much. Uh, me and my wife absolutely love going to games, and I love coaching my son, and I love coaching uh, little league players. And there's something that I've noticed about 10-year-old little league players. They're incredibly, incredibly emotional. They are absolutely emotional wrecks. And what I found is that their emotions can go from super high to super low in a heartbeat. But there's something else that I've noticed. I've noticed that when the score guarantees a victory, their demeanor, their attitude, everything about them changes. If you know anything about Little League, if you have 15 runs, if you're, 15, uh, if you're beating the other team by 15 runs in the third inning, the game is over in the third inning. So if we're going into the third inning and it's 15 to zero, there's dancing going on in the dugout. There's laughter going on in the dugout. There's high fives. There's when you strike out, it's okay. Everything's fine. It's going to be all right. But oh my goodness, when we're down by one run, that strikeout becomes life and death. That, that bad play becomes, I can't believe you did that. The bad coaching decision to get to make the uh, to have the students or the, the the player steal a base now becomes an argument with an adult and a ten year old. Ten year old baseball players are extremely emotional. You want to know who else I found out is to is extremely emotional? Christians. I think believers sometimes act like ten year old baseball players. I think, or maybe a better way that I could say is I've observed that many Christians live this life as if they're down by 10 runs. I've observed that their demeanor looks and their words say, I don't know if I'm going to have victory. They might say, I know there's victory in Jesus, but very little of what they do and how they live actually shows that they believe that there's going to be victory. 
Somehow they believe the other team has a chance, even though the game has already been won. Throughout the New Testament, there are over 39 different descriptors descriptors that are unique to describe God's people. Descriptions like saint, friend of Jesus, children of God, the chosen, heirs, the beloved of God, a royal priesthood, and the righteous. Those are just some of them. These descriptors build confidence, encourage us, and remind us of who we are in Christ. The Apostle John, or as we so affectionately have gotten to know him around here as Uncle John, knows that there's a descriptor of God's people, and he loves to use it. This word, this title, this descriptor of God's people and of Jesus is written 28 times in the New Testament. Uncle John writes it 24 out of those 28 times. It's not only a description of believers, but a description of who they believe in, and it comes with a promise. John lovingly reminds them of who they are in Jesus. He reinforces their foundation of what Christ has done and revitalizes their understanding of their new identity in Christ. Let's read our passage and let's see if we can hear what John is saying to the early church and what he's saying to us today. If you haven't already, turn with me to 1 John 5, 1. 1 John 5, 1 will be in verses 1 through 5. It says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Look with me again at verses four and five, and let's not miss it. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Did you hear it? He says it three times in those short verses. In two verses, John writes the same word three times, overcomes, overcomes. This is the Greek word nakeo, which is where we get the Greek word Nike, which when translated properly means just do it. Oh man, is that an old slogan? No, nobody? Oh, I missed that one. That one did not not land. I thought it was gonna land. It did not land at all. Maybe it means Air Jordans. I don't know. Um, No, when it is properly interpreted, it means to conquer or to be victorious. Overcomes, when properly interpreted, is to conquer, to be victorious. It is a verb in these verses that literally means overcoming and conquering. It is not in the past tense or in the future tense. It is in the perfect tense, which means it is ongoing. It is not just in the past. It is not just today. And it's not just for in the future. It's all of those. It's meaning we are continually victorious and we are continually conquering. You not only have overcome, but will overcome in the future as well. The Apostle John knows who has won the victory and he knows who has won the battle and he knows who has defeated this world. 
He knows who has conquered it all. He knows that Jesus is a guaranteed victory over Satan in this world as it would be Michael Jordan playing my 10-year-old son on the basketball court. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if we stepped back and we watched a one-on-one basketball game with Michael Jordan and Nolan Batches and in, no, and in Michael Jordan's, let's forget his prime. Let's go today. He was playing Nolan Batches on a one-on-one court and we stepped back and said, oh man, maybe, just maybe, Nolan's gonna win. By no chance would that happen. And that's what Uncle John knows. And that's what John is telling us here. You see, we would have complete confidence that Michael Jordan would absolutely destroy, posterize, and defeat my 10-year-old son. But here's the thing. We act as if Satan has a chance of victory over Jesus and his elect. We live, we act, we often talk as if, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. I, bl- I, bl- I think so, but I'm not quite sure. And even if we do believe that Jesus will have the ultimate victory over Satan, I'm not sure that we believe that we have victory. I think sometimes we question our victory because we question Christ's victory. Did he really do everything? Did he really do everything that, that he needed to do so that I could have victory? We question who we are because we often question who he is. We often question because we don't really know Jesus. We just know about Jesus. In darkness and despair and difficult times, worry and doubt and this, will I really have victory, start setting in. Will I really overcome? This leads us to our big idea that John is wanting us to know today and what he wanted his listeners to know so many years back then. Our big idea for the morning is this. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. It's not might overcomes the world. It's not if you continue to do this, you will overcome the world. It's if you are born of God, you overcome the world. Another way to say this is if you are saved by Jesus, you already have the victory in Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that victory is yours? Does your life show that you believe that victory is yours? Or when when difficult times happen, when bills are difficult to pay, when health is difficult, when the economy starts doing what it does, does doubt start setting in? Or do you know that you have victory? Christians, it's not a question of who will win. It's a question of will you live in the assurance that you have already won? Remember, this letter that John wrote is given to the believers to have assurance in Jesus. And what greater assurance is there than knowing that Jesus has already won? And because he has won, we have won. Because he is victorious, we are victorious. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. But this leads this leads to a question. I think it's a good question and I think sometimes we ask it in the right way and then sometimes we ask it in the wrong way. How do, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know, and in our context, it's how do I know I'm born of God? 
Because if, if it's those who are born of God are the ones who overcome, how do I know that I'm born of God? And that's actually what John answers most in this text. It's a great question. He answers it in verses one through three. If you have your Bibles, feel free to look back there again. First John 5, one through three. It says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves who has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We must be careful here with this text. And we must not make this text the steps to be born of God. But these are guides. These are signposts as to are we born of God? Can I have assurance that I am born of God? These are evaluations for us. I don't know about you, but I hate being lost. I hate doubting. I hate wondering if I'm going in the right direction. If you ask my wife, um, she will say it was at this moment in my life in New York City where she thought I was gonna have a mental and physical and emotional breakdown as we were lost. We were on our 15-year anniversary and we were going from Boston to D.C. and we were stopping in New York City. We got off at Penn Station and as we got out of Penn Station, we started looking for the F train. My sister was living in Brooklyn at the time and she said, just hop on the F train and we'll take you right to where you need to go and I'll meet you there and then we'll, we'll go on our way. Well, so we started looking for signs for the F train. Well, there was no signs for the F train, so we asked the cop, do you know where the F train is? He goes, I, I don't know if the F train comes by here. So he went and asked somebody, he goes, oh yeah, if you walk a block down that way, uh, you'll see a sign that says this way to the F train, just follow that and you'll find the F train. Well, it's 95 degrees with 98% humidity. I've got two bags. My wife has two bags. We're walking a New York City block. I don't know about you, but a New York City block is not a normal block. It's a huge block. So we walk that block and there is no sign for the F train. So we come back to Penn Station. I find someone who works at Penn Station. He goes, yeah, I've been working here 23 years. I don't think there's an F train that goes by this, goes by Penn Station. So this is the time that my wife starts seeing me start having this mental breakdown. I did not cry. I just want to put that out there. I did not cry in that moment. But we finally said, you know what? Let's just go to the A train and see if we can't find signs that lets us know if it connects with the F train. And we get down to the A train. And sure enough, right when we get there, right there in front of us is the F train. There's nothing better than when knowing the signs point to exactly where you need to be and where you need to go. And so my, encourage, my encouragement to you this morning is as you hear these three things that, that Uncle John says, be assured. Let the signs assure you that you are born of God. It's, what, it's such a gift knowing. The three things John points out here, again, are not the root of salvation, but the fruit of salvation. So how do I know I am born of God? Let's say it this way. I know I am born of God when? I know I am born of God when, number one, I believe Jesus is the Christ. I know I am born of God when I believe Jesus is the Christ. This first one, this first evaluation is, is a theological evaluation. What do I believe about God? 
What do I believe about Jesus? It's a theological signpost that when we believe who Jesus says he is, we're on the right path. Verse one says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born again, born of God. Believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Throughout history, I don't know of a name that has caused more controversy, more arguments, more debate and discussion than the name of Jesus. There's those that love him, there's those that hate him, and those that are indifferent towards him. Almost everyone has an opinion about him. Whether you grew up in the church or whether you, this is the first time you've ever stepped foot in a church building, you probably have an opinion about Jesus or you know something about Jesus. But notice how John writes it. He writes this signpost and this guide and this assurance not in what we think, not in what we've heard, not in what our opinion is, but what we say and what we believe about Jesus. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? It says, everyone who has believed that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? Have you planted your flag on his name? Have you put your hope in his name? Have you put your trust in his name? Have you put your trust and your hope and your everything in who he is and what scripture says about him? Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's the title of Messiah or anointed one. From the Old Testament prophecies, there are several things that we know the Jewish people who anticipated the Messiah expected the Christ to be. The Messiah would be a Hebrew man, Isaiah 9, 6. Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. Of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. A prophet akin to Moses, Deuteronomy 18, 18. A priest in the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110.4. A king, Isaiah 11.1-4. And the son of David, Matthew 22.42. Who would suffer before entering his glory, Isaiah 53. Jesus met every single one of these messianic requirements. Jesus is the Christ and he proved it through his life, through his death, and through his conquering of the grave. Here's a fair question I think each one of us should ask ourselves: Do I know why I believe Jesus is the Christ? Do I know why I believe Jesus is the Christ? There are times when I ask people, so why do you believe in Jesus? And often this answer I get back is, why well, just believe? I've, I've always believed. I hate to say this, but I'm not sure that's a good answer. Belief is not what we should feel assured in. Belief in who Jesus says he is and is should give us assurance. I'm not saying you need to be a theologian, but it doesn't take a theologian to know who Jesus is. I'm also not saying you need to know everything about the Bible to be able to declare that Jesus is the Christ. Here's a crazy truth. There are theologians that could argue me out of this building when it comes to the Bible, but are not born of God because they do not profess that Jesus is the Christ. And yet, there are adolescents who know one truth about Jesus. He died in my place. He conquered the grave. And I want to put my trust in him. And they are born of God. In their limited understanding, they know enough about Jesus to profess Jesus is the Christ. Here's a scary thought. 
Demons believe in Jesus and even shudder at his name, but they're not born of God. What, do you, what you believe about Jesus absolutely matters. Here's what I found to be true. Those who are born of God, the more they find out about Jesus, the more they fall in love with Jesus and they find out how great he really is. The more they find out about what he has actually done for them on the cross and in the grave, the more their hope is in him. The more they are satisfied in Jesus, the more satisfying he becomes. If you believe Jesus is the Christ, let that be a signpost. Let that be a guide. Let that be a reassuring post that says, yes, I'm going in the right direction. I am born of God. This leads us to our second assurance of being born of God. I know I am born of God when I love God the Father. I know I am born of God when I love God the Father. The second is a heart evaluation. The first was a theology evaluation. The second is a heart evaluation, a heart signpost. Am I going in the right direction? 1 John 5, the second part of verse 1 through verse 3 says this, and everyone who believes in the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. Not that we keep his commandments, or that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you love God? It's a heart question. Not do you think, do you need to be obedient to God, but do you love God? When you evaluate your heart and examine your life, does it show people, does it say to you, yes, I love God. I believe that Jesus is the Christ and I love God. Or do you just love God because of what he's done for you? Do you love God just because of how he makes you feel? Or do you love God because you think he will give you something if you do? Love for God does not come through religious activity. Love for God comes through loving God and understanding just how much he has loved you. I might get in trouble for this one later at home, but I think it makes sense. I don't fall in love with my wife the more she tells me what to do. I love my wife. I love my wife. The more I recognize how much she loves me, forgives me, cares for me, and really sacrifices for me, the more I do, the more I desire to do what pleases her. You see, I could be wrong, but I haven't found it in scripture where it says, be obedient to God and you'll learn to love him. That's not what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you'll be obedient. If you love me, you will do what I command. You see, love precedes the action of obedience. The great men and women of the Bible loved God and because they loved God, they obeyed. God. Here's what I found in my own life and I've seen in the lives of Christians who are way more godly than me. When you obey God because you love God, you find out how wonderful obedience to an all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving God really is. Don't hear this section of scripture through the, through the muffled sound of religiousness. Don't hear scripture say, be obedient and you'll fall in love with God. That's not what it's saying. Here, it is through the assurance that you love God the Father, 
Loving his commandments become pleasing to the soul. Not always easy, but surely not burdensome. You know what's burdensome? Doing what my flesh tells me to do. Have you ever watched those videos on YouTube of road rage? Someone gets a little cut off and now you got to make sure that you cut them off and get them back, right? And so many of those videos end up in that person who originally got cut off, who got offended, who got mad, are now trying to cut them off and they end up in some crazy accident that causes and ruins their entire day, if not their entire life. You see, God's commands are not burdensome. God was so wise when he had James write in James 1, 19 and 20, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think when we're wise, we see how beautiful God's commands are and how burdensome they are not and actually how life-giving they are. God's commands bring so much more satisfaction than doing what I want and what I feel like doing in the moment. I do not earn God's love by keeping his commandments. I love God and learn how much better his commandments are than my own fleshly wants and desires. There's an interesting cycle that John writes about when it comes to loving God. He actually writes this, everyone who loves the Father loves who have whoever has been born of him. By this we know, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. It's this circular motion that loving God is directly tied to loving those who are born of God. And loving those born of God is directly tied to those loving God. This leads us to our third assurance of being born of God. This leads us to our third and final one where we can stand and say, yes, I can be assured that I will be an overcomer because I know that I'm born of God. I know I am born of God when I love God's children. I know I am born of God when I love God's children. This, is a, this third one is a, a social evaluation, a social signpost of, yes, I, I have placed faith in Jesus. I believe he is the Christ. I believe who he says he is. And I love God. I love God and I want to love him more. And now it comes to, I love God's children. Some might say I love God, but I don't love his church. From this text, I'm not sure that is theologically possible. You see, the church is the people who are born of God. It's not this building, it's not this place. It is the people within this place. It is the people who are born of God. Those who are in Christ, those who are born of God are the church. Again, we go back to our text and it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. One of the commandments that John is referring to is actually from the verses just preceding verse one of chapter five. If you have your Bibles, turn back a page or two and look at 1 John 4, 19 through 21. 1 John 4, 19 through 21 says this. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he can, sorry, for he, 
he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I am convinced that loving God is directly tied to loving his church. And loving his church is directly tied to loving God. Is the church perfect? Are people perfect? Absolutely not. But that's not the prerequisite to loving the church and loving the people who are the church. You cannot separate loving God and loving his church. Church, when you ask the question, am I saved? I encourage you to ask the question, maybe a better question, am I born of God? And let these three signposts encourage you and and strengthen you and give you assurance. When I confess that Jesus is the Christ, I know I'm born of God. When I love God, when I know that I love God, I know that I am born of God. When I love his people, I know that I am born of God. I'm not saying perfectly. Perfectionism is never the key in these verses. It's that these, again, are signposts and guides to us knowing who we are and knowing that we are born of God and have the assurance that we will overcome the world. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Remember, church, this is not will overcome the world one day. But this is a will overcome today, has overcome in the past, and will continue to overcome in the future. Your Savior and what he has done, you can be called overcomers. You might say, well, Jason, I don't feel like an overcomer. What happened last week, I didn't feel like I was overcoming. And I would say this is, this is the time when we lean into the biblical truth of what scripture says about believers, not what we feel like. I don't feel, I, here's a confession. I don't feel like God loves me when I screw up. But I lean into, I know he loves me. I for sure don't feel like a saint when I make a mistake that I've made 10,000 times before. But I know that scripture says those who are in Christ are a new creation and that they are called saints. I lean into what scripture says about me. I lean into the truth that I know to be true from God's word, not what I feel like is the truth. I might also say, I might also say that if you don't feel like you're overcoming, maybe, maybe just Maybe it's because you actually love the world a little too much. Maybe when something that you want to overcome, a sin or a problem, it's actually because you actually like it just a little bit too much. This doesn't change the truth that you are an overcomer, but ultimately to have victory, you've got to love your Savior more than the world. Victory does not come by trying harder. It actually comes through surrender. Victory does not come through trying harder. It actually comes through surrender. Surrender to the one who has overcome the world. I have this, one of my favorite pictures is actually my little Brookie who is at the time two years old and she's she's bent over and she's playing with the water at the beach and you can see the waves off in the distance. 
And that little two-year-old Brookie had no idea how to swim in a pool, in a lake, in a river, and for sure not in the ocean. And so if she was caught up in those waves, if she was, if she was going to get swept away by those waves, what would save her is not her trying harder because she would have no idea how to save herself. In fact, it would be her crying out and surrender, Daddy, come save me. I think sometimes we try and we try and we try and we try and we feel like we don't have victory. And maybe just maybe it's because you haven't surrendered. Maybe just maybe it's because you haven't said, Jesus, I can't do it. I need you to do it. And I want to trust that you will do it. Overcoming the world comes through surrender in the one who has overcome the world. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, He said this, I have said these things to you that you may know that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Believer, you can have confidence you can have security that the game is already won. So how will you live this life knowing that victory is yours, knowing that the enemy is defeated, knowing that you are conquering, victorious, and overcoming, not just in the future, but today? Let that change your life. Let that change your actions. Let that change your attitude in how you follow after and live for Jesus Christ. Well, church, we, we always want to end with not just facts and knowledge, but we want to challenge with, how do I live this out? We call it learning to lives. Learning to lives. And there's three questions that, that we just kind of want to ask you to ask yourself. These questions aren't for your husband or your wife or for your neighbor or for your friend. These questions are for you. The first one is, am I born of God? Am I born of God? You see, as we went through that list, that list should give us confidence. That list should give us assurance. That list should draw us closer to our Savior. But if it didn't, I want to ask you to ask yourself, am I born of God? Do I know this Jesus that they're talking about? And if you don't, that's when you surrender to him. You place faith in him. And you believe what he says about himself, that he is the Christ. Am I born of God? Second, what in my life do I need to surrender to Jesus? What in my life do I need to surrender to Jesus? Believers, if you have confidence that you are born of God. But there are things that you are still holding on to, the things of this world that you love just a little bit more than him. Maybe not even just, let's be honest, a lot more than him sometimes. What are some of those things that you need to surrender? What are some of those things that you need to give over to him? And finally, the final last learning to live is who in my life needs to see the one who has overcome. You see, believers, one of the greatest things of our testimony 
is not just what we say, but how we live. Who needs to see the overcomer in your life by how you have overcome, by how you are living victorious? Do your neighbors, do your family members, do your friends, do they see you living in the victory that Jesus has won for you? Or do they question, well, why do, why do they believe in this Jesus if that's the way they live? Who in your life, who in your life needs to see the one who has overcome? Church, as you, as you go out today, I want to encourage you with the assurance that Jesus paid it all. Jesus did enough. And because he conquered, we are conquerors. We overcome. We have a savior that has overcome and therefore we can live a life of victory, a life of overcoming. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the power of the cross. I thank you for the power that you showed that you overcame the grave and you defeated our enemy. Thank you that we don't have to live this life questioning, wondering, will I have victory? But we can live in confidence. We can live in assurance knowing that you have overcome knowing that you have won the battle. God, I pray that we will be believers. We will be born of God. We will be children of God who live as overcomers. That we will not just know that we are overcomers, but that we will live our life as overcomers. God, may we dance and celebrate knowing that the game is won and there's no chance for our enemy. God, we love you. We thank you for the good God that you are. In your name, amen.